Welcome to It Is What It Is, or Is It? I'm your host, Kay Francis, a licensed marriage and family therapist from Knoxville. I'm the author and creator of The It's It's, a children's book series, and my podcast topics will draw from my 40 years of experience in the fields of psychology and business. That includes executive coaching, training, and online program development. Okay, it's a sunny day in Knoxville this morning, and I hope you're having the same good weather. I can't tell you how cold it is. It has gone from 74, dropped into the 40s, and I think it was 20-something this morning. And I moved away from the north years ago, so here I am facing the cold. Well, today's podcast focuses on the second pair of the gem needs intimacy and solitude. Remember I told you I thought you would find it very interesting? Well, I also told you last week that there were eight stages of intimacy. Did any of you try to guess what those eight stages might be? Well, no guessing necessary. Here are the eight stages of intimacy. Affection. Expressions of affection to family members, friends, partners, and other meaningful people in your life. Affection can be such acts as giving flowers, hugs, a pat on the back, a gift, sharing a special meal, or other such expressions of affection. And then there's social. That means like you're going out, you're hanging out. Maybe you're dating, maybe it's a gathering with friends. That can go on and on, and I'm sure you can add to that list. Emotional, feeling free to talk about your feelings. That stage is really a little frightening to people because it addresses being vulnerable enough to talk freely and to share some of your deepest thoughts. But we'll get into that later. And then there's physical. I don't mean sexual. I mean physical. That's doing things together. It could be cooking. It could be projects around the house. It could be traveling, whatever. And then there's aesthetics. That's sharing something beautiful, such as photography or paintings or even nature. Spiritual, religion or meditation or other forms of personal peacefulness. And then there's intellectual. Things you like to do or talk about. It could be books, theater, work, hobbies. But they're intellectually stimulating. Last but not least, sexual. I put sexual intimacy last, not because it's the least important, but because it's the only one expression of intimacy that means different things to different people. What is considered pleasurable can vary greatly from person to person. Is it important? Of course it is, as is the other seven. So intimacy and solitude influence your attitudes and behavior. Gaining valuable insight into yourself requires self-disclosure and self-examination, which can only be done by turning inward and assessing the deeper part of yourself. Exploring deeper thoughts and feelings can be fearful, but self-awareness will reduce any fear you may have about learning more about your need for intimacy and solitude. I'd like to repeat that, awareness, self-awareness. That will help get you over the fear for that need. So before we get into today's topic, I want you to ask yourself, 
Am I self-aware of my thoughts and actions, especially when satisfying my need for intimacy and solitude? Remember, respect for yourself and others, as well as respect from others, cannot thrive on limited insight and restricted communication. Disturbing thoughts or feelings are a major obstacle when seeking intimacy and solitude. Most people will try to ignore or even deny unpleasant feelings, but these types of feelings can tell you a great deal about yourself. I know, I've done my share of ignoring over the years, and if you are honest, you probably have done a little ignoring or denying as well. But let's face it, who gets really excited about thinking and dealing with disturbing or painful thoughts? But... If you are willing to endure some of the distress accompanying those thoughts and feelings, your awareness will increase and you will tap into new information, information that focuses on such personal issues as trust, vulnerability, introspection, love, and friendship. So let's consider the definition of intimacy. Intimacy is the capacity for honest self-disclosure. It is the ability to trust yourself and others in order to experience close and deep levels of communication, an absence of fear that allows you the freedom to be vulnerable. Have you ever felt out of sorts? Your enthusiasm was like at a low point and you felt empty and uninvolved? Or maybe you can remember walking away from a conversation feeling as though you hadn't said what you really wanted to say and you felt misunderstood and unappreciated. When such feelings occur, they aren't necessarily all that important, but when these feelings linger or surface on a rather regular basis, they become really uncomfortable. This discomfort is most likely sending you a warning sign. Your built-in radar or what some people refer to as their gut feeling, their intuition, or the gift of the Holy Spirit may be alerting you to internal conflict. Most people do not recognize or appreciate this personal mechanism, so they don't use it to its best advantage. Think of this internal mechanism as your best advisor or counselor. It acts only on your behalf. But you must know how to listen to it, trust it, and have the confidence to act upon it. And this can only happen when you believe in the process of becoming intimate with yourself, making it okay to enjoy being vulnerable and confident and trusting. Notice how trust keeps surfacing. It's because it's the basis for all relationships. If you don't have trust in a relationship, you're already in trouble. Let's now look at solitude, the other half of intimacy. Think about a time when you were completely alone, a time where you were with your own thoughts and feelings, no distractions. What was that time like for you? Did you enjoy it or did it make you anxious and somewhat uncomfortable? Both men and women find it difficult to relate to solitude. They are neither aware of its value nor its importance, and certainly they have little understanding of how it affects the quality of their life. Solitary time can be a time of rejuvenation. It's a time to be free, to enjoy being alone with yourself, a time to think your own thoughts and feel your own feelings. Whether your thoughts or feelings are good or bad isn't the question. More importantly, the questions are, do you know the art of creating solitary moments? Do you realize how being in solitude raises self-awareness and increases knowledge and self-understanding? Solitude 
is your private time to ponder ideas and challenge yourself to be creative, problem solve, reduce stress, and confront why you ignore this need. Many of the people I interviewed told me that they avoided solitary as they saw it as isolating and feeling strongly that delving into their internal voices or internal feelings would hinder them somehow. Yet, when I questioned them further, they weren't sure why they felt this way. One woman did say, however, and I quote, I have no desire to dig around and stir up old stuff. I just want to live in the present. I could understand what she was saying, but what she wasn't understanding was that these internal needs are operating her in her daily life now, and if not satisfied in healthy ways, will block her from a positive and effective present life. As I said in the beginning, you might find your need for intimacy and solitude more difficult to explore because it does require time alone to examine yourself. It's not easy to look at yourself, especially if you haven't first satisfied your need for self-love and self-power. But when you decide to take quiet time with yourself, don't worry about what comes to the surface because the introspection that you will gain can be exciting. You may open doors to possibilities you never dreamed about. One aspect of intimacy is about learning when it's appropriate to share personal information. Let me give you an example. And you have to be vulnerable to share. But I share with my clients the fact that I have had therapy throughout my life. My therapy was long before I ever thought of becoming a therapist. But when that day came, I knew what it felt like to be the client. I knew the difficulty associated with digging within to discover that my internal needs needed some balancing. I did experience some painful incidents as information surfaced, but I learned that going through this process was the best investment I ever made in myself. It helped me to grow, it helped me to challenge myself and confront the negative messages that were still operating within me. Through this work, I was able to believe in myself and develop the self-confidence to believe I could go to college and become a therapist, a career I dearly love. We all have a tendency to take our need for solitude much too lightly, but it's solitude that empowers you through the experience of your own competence. It helps you handle situations with self-assurance and that inner confidence so needed Solitude is your opportunity to be with yourself in healing, meditative, and creative ways. Meeting this need will help you maintain a harmonious life. When you consider the people whose intimacy and solitude needs have been satisfied are in reasonable balance, this is what you will discover. They are good communicators. Their communication skills have developed, and they have an honest and positive approach to life. They are not afraid to share, which encourages others to share in return. They are direct and assertive and enjoy involvement. They are perceptive. They have a genuine interest in people. They are in touch with their internal voice and listen to what their intuition tells them. They trust this internal information. They are introspective. They turn inward as a way to examine their thoughts and feelings. They are subjective and contemplative. They discriminate internal information from external information. They are trustworthy. 
they don't have ulterior motives because they are comfortable and secure within themselves. They're good observers. Their ability to observe comes from their level of patience and natural curiosity. They have no need to always be in the spotlight. They are open. It's easy to be open when you are secure. Often, open people are sharing. They're generous in spirit. They understand the importance of different viewpoints, and they enjoy the differences. They work well alone. They have internalized independence that does not require the approval of acknowledgement from others. They know the difference between isolation and solitude. They appreciate who they are and respect the uniqueness of others. They recognize the value of creating internal balance between intimacy and solitude and therefore take the necessary steps to make this balance happen. They are not afraid of negative responses. There's a whole lot of people we know out there that do not want to hear it, correct? They welcome such responses as another way to learn about how they are perceived. Now let us discuss people whose intimacy and solitude needs are low or misdirected. They are afraid of closeness. They create distance between themselves and others as a form of self-protection. Because they frequently experience feelings of insecurity and distrust, they are afraid to take risk to be vulnerable. They build limited relationships. Intimacy either frightens them or is unfamiliar. They're not open because they fear they won't be accepted for who they are. Others are unable to be involved with them on a deep or meaningful level. They have difficulty identifying their feelings. They have not learned how to turn inward to their intimate self, so they are not clear about what they are feeling or why they are feeling it. They lack authenticity. Because they lack information and clarity about themselves, they remain out of touch with certain aspects of their personality. They lack a realness that contributes to them feeling uncomfortable, which creates discomfort in others. Their presentation of themselves is often stiff and can be very self-centered. They are afraid of honest self-disclosure. This limits their ability to probe deep as a way to become better acquainted with their deeper truths. So they remain rigid in their thinking and are clueless about their real needs and wants. They are afraid to trust. We know a lot of those people. When people aren't in touch with their feelings, they often make poor choices that lower their self-confidence. Low self-confidence can lead to distrust of oneself, which leads to distrust of others. They create disharmony. In their effort to remain safe, they distance themselves from others, behavior that is negative and unpleasant. The behavior can range from coldness and rudeness to hostility and hurtful language. They do not endear themselves to people that way, so their success is very questionable. They feel cheated. A lack of intimacy leaves a person feeling empty and cheated. Often these people carry a chip on their shoulder and become bitter. Now it's not hard to understand why people whose intimacy and solitude are low or misdirected are poor communicators. Let's face it, without intimacy, communication isn't going to work so well. They put the blame outside of themselves and never accept responsibility for their inappropriateness. Their ability to make positive changes or achieve personal success is grossly compromised. 
Because self-love and self-power represent your relationship with yourself, intimacy and solitude represents your relationship with others, and equality and influence represents your place in the world. So you see how these needs keep getting wider and wider. They start out with you, they move into interpersonal relationships, and from there, they move into how we interact in our world, both personally and professionally. At this juncture, it's important to remember that all six of the GEM needs are interrelated. Therefore, in order to be effective, it's necessary to create a reasonable balance between each pair of needs. I'm wishing all of you a wonderful Thanksgiving tomorrow. I hope you will join me next week as we complete the GEM needs and we move on to the last pair of needs, equality and influence slash manipulation. I hope you can join us because this will kind of bring the whole thing together. And also, I'd like you to be with me as we come to an end of a very important set of podcasts. By the way, if you're enjoying these podcasts, it would be great if you could pass the word on to your friends and family. I would really appreciate that. If you would like to submit a question or suggestion of a topic, you can email me at capital K, capital F, R is in red, A is in apple, and N is in Nancy. M is in Mary, A is in apple, the number one, at gmail.com. And I'll do my best to answer as many questions as possible, and I'll also try to consider your topic. Have a safe and blessed week, and remember to be proud of who you are.